Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Saving Grace Church. Uh, my name is Joe, one of the pastors here. Uh, let's pray and then we'll jump into the message this morning. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we all received during worship. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be speaking to us through your word this morning. Lord, please encourage us, help us, as we already heard this morning, to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are who we need to see and think about and trust in more than anyone or anything in the entire universe. So would you expand our vision of you today? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is also true of Jason Rummel. He's not a super athlete. He's a gifted musician, very creative guy, very avid reader. And one of the guys that looks at my notes before I preach, and he made a note and said, um, just remember, everybody in the room is not a sports fan, particularly a running fan. So, so I made a commitment to him, and I'll make a commitment to you. After today, no more running analogies until track season. Um, that's not for a while. That's in the spring, but we're going to do a lot of running analogies today. So, um, and the purpose, why we do analogies, metaphors, illustrations, is as John Bunyan, the Puritan, said, is so that they would stick in our minds and hearts like burrs. So you know those little things that stick to you if you're walking through the woods, you're going fishing or hunting? That's a burr that sticks to you. One of the reasons we want to illustrate things is so the truths of God's word stick to your, your minds and hearts. Well, yesterday, we're going to jump right into running. Yesterday, my family and I were at Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, some of you may have seen the newspaper this morning. Um, my daughter, Lily Ryer. Um, was on a team that became state champions yesterday for cross country. And they've been celebrating, so she's tired. Today's her birthday, 15th birthday, so she had a big weekend. And um, so at Hershey Park, if you've ever been to a cross country race, it's a 5K, 3.1 miles. And these races are huge. These state events are huge. So it's, the race she was in probably had two to 300 runners in it. They start out in a nice straight line in a large field, and then they just take off full speed, and they're funneled, and then eventually they make a sharp right turn. And the start of these races is very important, because you want to get out. If you don't get out fast, you can kind of get stuck behind the people. But yesterday, I watched six of these races, and when you watch these races, if you're like me, I'm a little hyper-enthusiastic as a dad, even if my kids are not in the races, it's kind of a running event for the spectators, particularly for some of the dads. So we're running through weeds, climbing up banks, cheering on the kids. Well, the race is probably the most critical part of a cross-country race, where it's often won or lost, is between what I would say the 1.25-mile mark and the 2.5-mile mark, the middle section of the race. Because what happens at the beginning of the race, you're excited, heart's pumping, adrenaline's pumping, and it can carry you pretty far for that first mile. And then what happens once you enter that second mile, 
is you begin to feel pain that you've never felt before. Your body begins to scream. You begin to feel sick to your stomach. Your heart begins to pound out of your chest. And your mind begins to play tricks on you. Such as, maybe I started too fast. Maybe I should have trained more this summer. Maybe I shouldn't even be in this race. And your, your mind is starting to play tricks on you. And yesterday, uh, to make matters worse, they're, they're running through mud. They're going up and down steep hills by Hershey Park. Um, it, it's a very physically grueling sport. It's one of the reasons I, I love it so much. But, but as I was thinking, and we're going to see the passage we're going to look at in Hebrews 12 today is going to use the Christian life, and the author is going to talk about it as in terms of a running race. And I was thinking of the comparisons. There's a lot of comparisons between a cross-country race and the Christian life. I mean, think about when you first trusted in Jesus Christ. There was great excitement. There was great cheers. If you became a Christian when you were younger, your mom and dad made a big deal about it. They rightly were celebrating. If you got baptized, the church was celebrating. Maybe they, they made a cake for you. Maybe they had a celebration in the building. And it was exciting. And you were joyful. And you were ready to go. And then as you follow Christ, there are twists and turns that happen that make the Christian life much more challenging than maybe you thought the day you first called out to Jesus. Or maybe the day of your baptism. I mean, we even know from the Bible that when you became a Christian... When you turn from your sins to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. But as we begin this journey, we in many ways live our Christian life between that 1.25 mile mark and that 2.5 mile mark. That, that difficult middle that can become disorienting where the cheers are less, the fans are less, the, the crowd is, is maybe less enthusiastic. As a fanatical dad, I, I try to be in that middle section of the race for Lily and Isaac and their teammates because there's not many fans usually in that middle part. And I know their minds are playing tricks on them as their body begins to scream at them. Well, my hope this morning is to encourage any of you who find yourself in the middle part of this Christian race where it feels more difficult, more challenging, more perplexing. You're starting to have mind tricks happening in your brain. And you need some encouragement. You need some cheering from people that know what it's like. People who have been there before. And that's what Hebrews 12 is going to show us. The question we want to consider today is how do we run this Christian race with joy Victory, hope, confidence, and success. The answer is quite simple, and we're going to look at it in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Here's how we do it. We fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We lock in visually, spiritually, in a trusting way, mind and heart, on Jesus Christ. See, the author of Hebrews, he's going to help us Give us heart and strength for this race. Look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. The author says, Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. My prayer is especially for those of you who have grown weary and faint-hearted, that the Lord would strengthen you today. Both this week and next week, we're going to look at two messages, two passages from the book of Hebrews. So I just want to give you a little bit of context and background in the book of Hebrews. The author is unknown. So, so throughout history, particularly early Christian history, there's been debate about who it is, and the consensus is they don't know. Um, whoever the author is, he knows Timothy. The Timothy that Paul writes to in 1 Timothy. So he's a contemporary of of Timothy. But we don't know who he is. But we do know he has a great heart for Christians to grow in their faith. To grow strong in their faith. To persevere in their faith. And many scholars believe that the book of Hebrews reads very similar to a sermon. And so if you read it this week or next week, read it through in a sitting. You read it out loud, and it really reads in many ways like a sermon reads. And, and the, the effect is to give you heart, to give you faith, to give you endurance to run the Christian race. So we're going to consider this question. How do we run this Christian race in a successful manner? How do we do it with endurance? See, these races I went to yesterday... Nobody is talking about this morning the runners that were first in the first five minutes of the race. Nobody even knows their names, probably. All they talk about is who finished and how they finished. So a strong start's a good thing. It's an important thing. But spiritually speaking, as Christians, we want to be really concentrated on having a strong finish in our Christian life. And the Lord wants to help us. So how do we do this? Point one, we should take encouragement from those who have gone before us. We should take encouragement from those who have gone before us. Look at verse one. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what what the author is talking about there in chapter 11, the great hall of fame of these believers throughout the Old Testament He's talking about that great cloud of witnesses, the saints recorded in Scripture that have gone before us. The image is they, they are watching us. They are cheering us on. But they're not cheering us on as mere spectators. They're cheering us on as the equivalent of athletes who have actually competed before, who have done the difficult walk of faith. In Hebrews 11, there's some 16 or 17 men and women mentioned by name that you can look up in the Old Testament and you can read their story and their journey of faith and see their their difficulties. And they're recorded 
to give us strength to build our faith. So I told you Jason looked at my notes. Dave Marshall also looked at my notes this week. And one of the things that he sent back, he said, point out to him, I thought this was a great point, that the race that we're running, it's the one set out before us. It's the one the Lord set out before you. So your race and my race may be very different from one another. But it's, it's designed by God. It's the race that you were called to run that may have very unique blessings and very unique difficulties. See, God allows all our circumstances so that we grow in endurance, so that we grow stronger as believers. And sometimes we're growing stronger when we're more aware of our weaknesses. So it's, it's kind of opposite of what we think. You feel weak? You feel more confused as a Christian? You're probably becoming less self-confident and more confident and dependent on the Lord. That's a good thing. You're growing stronger. Your faith is growing. Your dependence on Him is growing. And so we have in the Bible many men and women whose lives were challenging, whose lives were spectacular at some moments, that hung in there and ran their race. And we're, we're to learn from them. See, when I say Moses, you might picture immediately leading God's people across the Red Sea. But also, when I say Moses, you could easily think, oh, he grew up as a rich kid in Pharaoh's palace. He had everything money could buy and every power that the government could give him was his because he grew up in Pharaoh's household. And he left all of that, the Bible says, to follow God's call in his life. See, one of the themes you get from Hebrews 11 is these men and women, they gave up temporary pleasure for an eternity of pleasure. That theme comes in and out over and over again. We see that in Moses. We see that in Joseph. We see that in Rahab. We see that in a number of the men and women that are recorded in Scripture. So, so they're there, so we would take encouragement and strength. So when, when you're reading the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, and an author commands you to do something, think of them as one who has been there before. Yesterday in the men's race, myself and another dad named Daryl, who's a far superior runner to me, we were, we were running all over this course, and I said, I'll just follow you. And we're climbing up banks and running through water and doing all kinds of fun stuff. Well, we're, we're, we're cheering on one particular teammate named Anthony Scott, who was, who was hurt for the last few weeks, but he's a really courageous runner. So we get up to him to 400-meter mark, and there's a group of about six to ten guys in front of him. And we're screaming our guts out at Anthony. Just pass the whole group, Anthony. You can pass the whole group. And what does Anthony do? He passes the whole group. Talked to him after the race. And he said, well, I was scared when you guys were yelling at me. <laughs> and one of the reasons is we actually run with Anthony during the summer. So Anthony knows that myself and Daryl, we're runners. We, we know the, the, the feeling of you're going to puke your guts out. We know what it's like. And so he responded. I think he responded better because we were runners. See, when I say 
the men and women from Scripture, they're, they're runners in the spiritual sense. They, I mean, Abraham left everything he knew to follow the call of the Lord. He's a runner. He's in the race. It's not theoretical for the saints recorded in Scripture. And we can learn from them. So we can learn from the witnesses of Scripture. We can learn from the witnesses throughout history. See, we live in a a unique time. We have access to all kinds of Christian biographies, all kinds of church history books. And when you read them, read them as, I'm, I'm reading, this book is called Fearless Pilgrim about John Bunyan's, my favorite biography by a woman named Faith Cook. This is a man who was a runner spiritually. He, he ran. He spent time in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. And so when I read stuff about and by John Bunyan, it builds my faith. It gives me heart for the race. Um, a man named George Offer, who was an 1800s pastor, who was a did this great biography and collected all the works of John Bunyan, wrote this about John Bunyan. He said, Bunyan was imprisoned for teaching the gospel and its purity to the poor and for refusing conformity to national creeds and ceremonies. So he spent over 10 years in prison because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. He wrote a lot of good books. Probably heard of Pilgrim's Progress. You might have heard of Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinner. It's a autobiographical book by him. My, I think, favorite book by John Bunyan, it's a short one, it's called His Prison Meditations. These are things he wrote while he was in prison. So he's in prison. His wife is dirt poor. He's actually doing some work in prison to send money to his family. His daughter Mary was blind and very poor. And the heart wrench of his his family situation was intense for him. He describes in one place, it's like flesh being ripped off my bones when I think about my dear Mary at home, his little blind daughter. Same man writes this in prison, in his prison meditations. This is prison meditation five and six. I am indeed in prison now, in body, but my mind is free to study Christ and how unto me He is kind. So he fixed his eyes on Jesus. He's in this crummy prison in England. And he's growing in his faith in Jesus Christ. Meditation number six, he says, For though men keep my outward man within their locks and bars, yet by faith of Christ, I can mount higher than the stars. He had a real, live faith in Jesus that as his circumstances got darker, his faith actually grew. See, that's possible for you and I. That's Hebrews 11. These men and women sacrificing pleasure and comfort for a much greater pleasure and comfort. John Bunyan said this too. Because at times he, he had an opportunity to get out of prison if he would just stop preaching the gospel. He said, I would stay in prison till the moss grows on my eyelids rather than disobey God. He felt such a call to share the good news of Jesus 
with men and women who did not know him till moss grows on my eyelids, I will stay in this prison cell. So we, we can learn. Read, read Christian biographies. I have a bunch of them. If you, if you need one, we can, I'll, I'll give it to you. So that your faith is built up. So that you grow stronger. How else can we endure? We can endure by the witnesses of older Christians around you. If you look around this room, there are men and women who have been following Jesus longer than you have. Learn from them. Talk to them. If you were here last week, Bob Santos preached. Bob Santos is a good friend of mine. I've known him since the first year I I trusted in Christ. It's one of the reasons I wanted him to speak here last Sunday. And he just helps me. He does not get rattled by personal situations or church situations because he's walked through many, many difficulties. And so just having lunch with him, just talking to him on the phone, just exchanging emails with him strengthens me to run the Christian race. You are surrounded by people in this local church that can encourage you in that way. So how do we do this? Number two from the passage, we must set aside the weight and sin which clings so closely to us. We must set aside the weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We've got to set aside some things. So in this cross-country state championship yesterday, if they were wearing all their warm-up clothing, if they had a backpack full of bricks, it's going to slow them down. The week before, we were at the district championship. It's pouring down raining. Our coach is a big, big fan of wearing as little as possible, no matter how cold it is. So our team, guys and girls, they get their little shirts on, their, their shorts on, and that's it. Parents, we had gloves, winter coats, everything. Well, why would they do that? They want them to run light. They want them to run as light as possible. Plus, they're working a lot harder than we are. But they, they're, they're free. Well, that's what the author's saying here. Set aside anything, any weight that slows you down in your pursuit of Christ. This weight is a very broad idea. This could be anything that hinders your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not talking about sin because he's going to talk about sin in a moment. This, is, this could be something that could be neutral as far as right or wrong, but too much of it just slows you down. So evaluate your life. Is there anything that is slowing down your pursuit of Jesus Christ that you need to take off and set aside so that you can run harder after him? Ask the Lord to show you that, and he will. Same thing. He says, set aside... The sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, the race that we're in is way longer than a three-mile race. Some of us are going to live a really long time. Decades and decades of pursuing Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. That's what I want to do. Well, to do that, you need 
endurance. And you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. And the thing that's going to slow you down or me down the most is having a big sack of sin on my back, on your back, attached to you. Any sin, any disobedience that you are feeding into, that you are giving into as a Christian, will slow you down. It may even bring you to a screeching halt at times. A non-sports illustration. For those of you who don't like running, hopefully you like fishing. So I grew up near Maryland. I grew up going to Ocean City, Maryland every summer. I grew up flounder fishing and catching Maryland blue crabs all the time. And I love it. I love it to this day. I don't get to go as much as I did then, but I love it. Well, a number of years ago, we were at the beach with my dad, the one who taught me all this stuff, and uh, we were going to go flounder fishing. He had a nice boat at the time. We were, we were going to go flounder fishing, and one of our traditions has always been to catch minnows in the minnows in the back waters of Ocean City, Maryland. So my dad was asleep. I thought it was early in the morning. I thought I'll, I'll help him out. I like doing this. Um, I'll get up early. I'll set out the minnow traps and catch the minnows. And it's the same funnel trap that I've had since I was a little kid. It's worth about $10, but it's more sentimental than, than um, monetarily uh, worth anything. So I'm catching some minnows, filling up the bucket. Oh, my dad will like this. He'll wake up. We'll get to go fishing. It'll be great. And where, where I catch those minnows, it's these little backwaters of the bay that basically is just a few feet deep of mud with maybe a foot of water. And so it's primarily inhabited by crabs and minnows. So I throw the trap out one time after catching some minnows, and it separates. And I think, oh, no. And it, it flies way onto this mud. Well, like I said, it's not really worth anything, but it's sentimental. And I didn't want to tell my dad I lost his minnow trap. And I could actually see it because the water's not that deep. So I thought, okay, I'll just go get it. It's summertime. So I step into this mud, and I sink in way deep. I thought, I'm going to die in Ocean City, Maryland. Nobody even knows where I am, and my phone's in the car. So then I remember watching Bear Grylls. So I got on my knees and my elbows, and I scooted out. I got it. I came back. But it was with great effort. And the mud, because it's decomposing wildlife, I guess, it just stinks like crazy. And since... I hadn't been there for a number of years. The, the what was once just this backwater wilderness was all these very nice houses surrounding it now, and I'm crawling out in mud. It was just terrible. Um, but the point is, if you are a Christian and you are in sin, you are pursuing sin, you are delighting in sin, you are feeding sin, it's just like walking through that mud. It's foul, it stinks. It slows you down. You cannot make progress the way you can if you throw it all off. And so some of you need to turn from the sin that is entangling you. You need to confess it. You need to own it. You need to run hard away from it. Because it is going to ruin you more than anything else in your Christian life. And as I study this passage, the the commentators think mostly they're talking about the besetting sins, the sins that we we return to over and over again. They're the sins we got to forsake 
and turn from. See, when you trusted in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit came inside of you. He made you new. The resurrection power of Jesus is in you, Paul says in Romans, so we can walk in newness of life. That's what Christ purchased for you. But when you begin to play with sin and jump back into it again, it will entangle you in a terrible, terrible way. It will slow you down. So what are the sins that are weighing you down right now? Let me just throw out some categories. It could be lust. It could be lust in all its forms. That you are just, you have this secret part of your life. That you just keep feeding, thinking about, looking at things, going to things. You've got to break it off. You've got to confess it. You've got to bring it out into the light. It could be an intense laziness, or sloth, or fear, or worry, or pride, or self-righteousness. You can't look at anybody, Christian or non-Christian, and not think, I'm just fundamentally better than they are. Uh, that's not good. Jesus doesn't like that. We need to turn from it. We all have different sins that might attract us more than others. You know what they are for you. You need to be in community with other Christians and confess those things and turn from those things so that you can run this Christian race in a way that pleases the Lord so that when the finish line eventually comes, you're not crawling in all stinky and covered in sin you are running joyfully with minimal regret, with great faith and great confidence in the Lord's salvation and the freedom that he purchased for you. See, maybe it's anger or bitterness or a deep resentment. See, that, that also is like being in the mud. You, you can't move far if anger and bitterness and resentment have a entanglement upon your soul. It's ensnaring. It, it will slow you down. And you need the Lord's power to release it and forgive and entrust it to the Lord. See, I want you to be successful in this race. The Lord wants you to be successful. So throw off anything that is slowing you down right now. So how do we do this Christian race? We must run, third point, with the long haul in mind. With the long haul. This is a long race. We go quick on this point. We're going to run with endurance. Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Have a long-term perspective. If you've just trusted in Jesus Christ, think, I want to have good habits with spending time with the Lord so that I go strong and healthy for the long haul, the long race ahead of us. Jason, while you were, I think, out at the break, I made the public commitment, no more running, illustrations, analogies, metaphors, until track season after today. But today is not next week. So, here's another one. How many of you, and I'm going to guess not many of you, watched the Boston Marathon on TV this year? Thank you, Andrew Walwork, a fellow runner. <laughs> I think you were the only one besides me. Well, got a good story to tell you guys. There was a woman named Des Linden, American woman, first since 1985 to win the Boston Marathon. 
She's just this little tiny thing. And the Boston Marathon this particular year, this past year, was cold, rainy, and wet. Big surprise. And she thought about dropping out. I watched interviews. I watched the race. I watched interviews by her. She said, I felt miserable. So at the beginning of the race, her plan was, I'm just going to drop out. There were some other Americans in the race. She thought, I'll help them, see if I can encourage them, get them a little further, and then I'm just going to drop out. Well, she felt miserable. But she had been trained. She's a good runner. And what happened is over time, as the race went on, she found herself slowly moving to the front of the group, and people just started dropping off. And the reason, the primary reason that she was able to win, took the lead at the 18-mile mark, is because she had been training in Michigan. She lives in Michigan. Michigan's not Florida or California. Michigan is cold, wet, snowy, and miserable. Most of her training had been in snow, wet, cold, and misery. And so, a lot of elite runners were in the field. She was able to endure the discomfort in a way that others were not, who actually were much faster runners. See, as a Christian, don't worry about how fast you're moving. You want to endure. You want to, you want to be there at the end of the race, praising and loving Jesus when all is done, when your life is over. See, that's what we want to do, and we want to do it with endurance. You, you want to run your own race. As, as Dave Marshall pointed out, the race that God set before you, that's the one you're called to be faithful to. Not somebody else's race, your own race. So run with the long haul in mind. This um, past month, in October 22nd, Eugene Peterson passed away. Um, if you don't know Eugene Peterson, he was um, a Presbyterian pastor. He was the author of the Message Bible, which was like a modern-day language Bible. He was a faithful pastor. And he died on October 22nd. And I just want to read a little bit about him, because this is a man, this is the kind of man I want to be. I'm 42. If I get to live 43 more years at the age of 85, I want to be like him in this way. Here's what his son said about him. He said, his son Eric said, It's fitting that his death came on a Monday, the day of the week he always honored as a Sabbath during his years as a pastor. The family stated, after a lifetime of faithful service to the church, he was running the race with gusto. It is reassuring to know that Eugene has now entered into the fullness of the kingdom of God and has been embraced by the eternal Sabbath. A little bit earlier when they knew he was sick, he was interviewed about death. And here's what he said. Eugene Peterson said this. I have no idea how it's going to work, but I'm not afraid. I'll tell you that, he said. I've been with a lot of people who are dying. I think those conversations are some of the best I ever had these people who have had lived a good life, who have embraced their faith, they are not afraid. See, isn't that how you want to be? That's how I want to be. Have a big, strong trust in Jesus Christ. That it gives you endurance and motivation to keep running. Which is the last and final point. 
So how do we do this? We must never stop looking to Jesus. We must never stop looking to Jesus. Look at verse 2 and 3. So we're throwing stuff off. Then he says, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Maybe you're, you're growing weary. Maybe you're growing faint-hearted. Here's what you need to do. You need to look to Jesus. The idea here of this looking is this fixing our eyes on him in a way that's expressing trust. It's way more than seeing Jesus. It's not just like, I know who Jesus is. No, I am trusting in him. I am looking to him for my help, my strength, my hope, my protection, my salvation, my everything. I am looking to Jesus. Look to him alone for strength and satisfaction. As I study this passage... A number of guys pointed out that here's what verse 2 doesn't say. It doesn't say looking to the Christ or looking to the Messiah or looking to the one who fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. All those things are true about Jesus. He is the Christ, which means the Messiah. He is the one who fulfilled all the prophecies but the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to think about Jesus the man. Jesus the person. Jesus the human being acquainted with grief and suffering. See, he is a king, too, and we're going to see that in a moment. But he's a man. He's the one who walked this walk of faith to complete and absolute perfection. He didn't falter. He didn't, he didn't stumble. He didn't fail. Any of the people in Hebrews 11 that you study, they all failed. They all stumbled. They got back up. They kept going. But they were not like Jesus. See, Jesus was absolutely perfect. And we're to trust in him. We're to fix our gaze on him. And he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who makes faith possible for us. He's the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, if you study crucifixion throughout history, here's what you won't find is the word joy anywhere near a book on crucifixion. See, he knew he had to go through suffering to be able to purchase you and I. He knew he had to endure ridicule, mocking, spitting, beating, and finally, crucifixion, hanging on the cross before all mankind and suffering for sins that he did not do. He did it with joy so that you and I, if we trust in him, could be born again and could have a new life and could follow him forever all because of what he has done for us. See, we're to look to him. Never stop looking to Jesus. 
If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ yet, you need to call out to him. You need to cry out to him. Say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. and You died in my place. And then you rose from the grave. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to call out to you. I'm going to run to you. I'm going to throw myself on you and your salvation. If you do that, he will save you. He will rescue you. But for many of us, we're in that 1.25 to 3-mile mark or 2.5-mile mark where you've gotten weary. You've lost your way a little bit. And most likely, if you are discouraged, it isn't so much because of your circumstances. Now, you think it's because of your circumstances. You might even be objecting in your mind right now. No, it's definitely because of my circumstances. Your circumstances are real. They're challenging, I'm sure. Some of you, they're, they're excruciatingly challenging. But, how did John Bunyan, sitting in prison, soar to the stars? Well, he did so by looking to Jesus with belief and trust and confidence and wonder. See, it's not wrong to pray that the Lord would relieve our circumstances at times. But it's better to pray, Lord, help me to see Jesus Christ in the middle of these circumstances. Open my eyes wider. And what will happen is Jesus will become bigger and the circumstances will become smaller. Doesn't mean they're not real. Doesn't mean they're not hard. Doesn't mean they don't hurt. But Jesus in all his beauty will become way more glorious to you. Don't forget who you're trusting in. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We follow Jesus, and Jesus has been through it all. He's been mocked. He's been forgotten. He's been betrayed by his closest friends. All turned away from him at one point. And he kept going. Because he had a joy, a future hope. See, we're the same way. He wants you to run hard towards him. So if you are in the tough part of the race right now, if it's overwhelming, school pressures, life pressures, friendship pressures, church pressures, whatever has disillusioned and disoriented you, whatever has made you feel worn and weary, you need a fresh view of the author and perfecter of your faith. Who don't miss in Hebrews in this passage. It says presently is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The king is in his throne. He sat down. Mission accomplished. Sins paid for. He's praying on our behalf. We have the right person on our side. With great confidence we can trust in him. So run your race fixed on Jesus. Last verse, and the band can come up as I'm reading this verse. The Apostle Paul wrote this near, very close to the end of his life. And this is my prayer for myself. This is my prayer for you all. This is what we want to be able to say. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. See, we want to run towards Jesus, trusting him with that future day in mind. Let's stand and pray. And then we'll sing, Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your incredible love and power and mercy and grace. Lord, thank you for your example. Thank you that, Lord, if anybody's lonely in the room, you know loneliness in a way that no one else does. You were forsaken, you were forgotten, you were betrayed. And you endured, you kept going. Lord, may that give us heart and strength. And joy. Expand our view and vision of you. Lord, we love you. I pray as we sing this song to you, may we be filled with your spirit and filled with a heart to worship you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.